Welcome to the Fan Experience, a Phoenix Rising supporters podcast. Stick around for interviews, analysis, fan stories, and our love affair with Phoenix Rising. And now to kick things off is your host, Niall McCarthy. What's up, football-loving maniacs? This is Devin Kerr, and you're listening to the Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, I'm so glad you joined us. We have so much great content for you today. One of the highlights from last week's episode was our guest, Sarah Beth Greyer, known to Manny on Twitter as Rara Piranha. Sarah Beth shared some of her favorite memories of her time as a Phoenix Rising supporter, and in doing so, she brought back happy memories for a lot of us, not least of which was the 2018 Western Conference Final, where we beat Orange County in their stadium and swiftly proceeded to invade the pitch and what a night we had. Orange County remember that night too, and maybe that's why they played with such grit and determination when they visited our home on Saturday night. It was a close game that ended in a draw, and we've got Orange County sportscaster Ray Samora on to talk about the match with us. It's good to have representatives from other teams as they bring extra depth to our understanding of their team, their tactics, their culture, and their hate of Phoenix Rising. Just kidding. Am I? Judge for yourself. In addition to the game roundup, we have a very special guest, Juan Uresti, to talk about 90 Mass Rising, which is an initiative he started to bring Phoenix Rising closer to the Spanish-speaking community and to bring the Spanish-speaking community closer to Phoenix Rising. He talks about all the ways that Spanish speakers have to engage with Rising, and you'll be amazed at what an amazing job he has done and how much he does to elevate Phoenix Rising in the minds and hearts of supporters. Kelly McCarthy joins us to share standings and highlights from across the USL, and we finish up with a preview of our next game, a home game against Sacramento Republic. We've got a lot to get to. I hope you enjoy the show. Buckle up and let's get started with the game roundup. Phoenix Rising family, on Saturday, August 14th, we played host to our old rivals, Orange County Soccer Club. There was electricity in the air with a storm looming, but thankfully Mother Nature left us alone to create our own electricity on the pitch, and we weren't disappointed. The crowd in all four stands worked hard to support the boys, and in the last few minutes, I'm pretty sure that everyone in the stadium was on their feet, a good indicator of an exciting game. Usually we start out our game review with overall thoughts on the game, but the honor this week goes to coach Rick Schantz, who was quoted on the Phoenix Rising website as saying, the guys felt like the goal was just gonna come, but Orange County is really good. They're very organized. They have some big guys in the middle, they make it difficult. I told the guys at halftime, it's not about tactics or personnel. It's just about how badly either team wanted to win the game. I was pleased with our second half, because we really went after it. Rick had more to say, and to put his following comment in context, I should add that Rising had 64% possession and 27 shots on the night. So here's what Rick said. Possession means nothing. You must score goals in the game. There were way too many times when we broke their line and then played negative. That's not Phoenix Rising football. We have to be far more aggressive. I would have liked to have seen double the number of shots we had. 
So that's what our coach had to say. We've got Kelly McCarthy with us to add her thoughts as well as, as Ray Samora from Orange, Orange County's podcast named Orange and Black Soccer Cast. Welcome, guys. Kelly, you heard me quote Rick. Now it's over to you. What were your thoughts on the match? Well, you gave us a lot to talk about. <laughs> My mind is spinning with uh, the different things that you just mentioned from Rick. And I think he made some really good points and we'll touch on a lot of it. Um, you know, it was an exciting, exciting game, like too exciting. I'm still recovering. Um, you know, it was one of those games where you were just willing the ball to go in at many different points. And I know that was on both sides, but it was an exciting game. And I think both teams played their game and did so from start to finish. I agree. It's who wants it more. And, you know, as we talk about the game, it's debatable who wanted it more and when, but, you know, it was, it was truly felt like team number one playing team number two, meaning the top two teams in the Pacific division playing each other and playing each other hard. You called them our old rivals. Maybe that's a little nod to San Diego, or maybe it's just the longevity of that rivalry, but it felt like a rivalry match. It was really exciting. I'm looking forward to talking about it. And Ray, your thoughts. Yeah. So uh, I totally agree. It was a a very competitive match. Uh, There was a lot of energy from both teams, you know, uh, Orange County is coming in, although they're way down on the table when you look at points from Phoenix. Uh, Orange County has struggled. They had a tough July. Uh, So coming into this match, they're looking to just turn the ball around. And for a good 95 minutes, it looked like they were going to steal some points, uh, still all three points from Phoenix, which has been tough all season for teams in the USL. Uh, I believe Phoenix is undefeated at home all season. Y'all can correct me on that because you all are the experts. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's also one of these things with Orange County and, and anyone that watched the stream heard, uh, you know, Orange County has dropped a lot of points from uh, from being ahead in, in matches. And once Orange County fans saw eight minutes uh, of added time, it, it was nerve wracking for the, the team and maybe an extra minute or two more than needed to be on there. But I, I get it. Orange County was milky time. We'll talk about all this stuff. But uh, simple answer. Uh, great competitive match from. I don't consider old rivals, but maybe like you all mentioned, San Diego is now a new thing there, but we remember uh, a few years back when y'all stormed our, our, our pitch and we have not forgotten that. (laughs) (laughs) So Ray, just to put things in context, you started off the season with two really crippling injuries, right? Adam, John and and Seth, how do you say his last name? Uh, Cassipoli. Yeah, so that was hard for you guys. You had a, a lot of of ground to make up for after after losing those two players. But do we do we have a list to go off? Because preseason we lost Seth Casipoli and Darwin Jones. First match of the season, first half of the season up in Tacoma, we lose Adam John for the season. Thomas Inavolson goes down. Uh, we have other players uh, that have picked up injuries in Euro Markin in uh, uh, Jack Imperato um, has been missing in action. We have uh, Chris Weehan on our most recent match before we played Phoenix, uh, got, took a shot to the head and we don't know, there's not been an official announcement of uh, concussion or concussion protocol, but he was missing from this match and he's been very solid for us. Uh, this is a, a very interesting time for Orange County. Uh, we're dealing with injuries. Uh, luckily, somehow magically, we're sitting second in the Pacific uh, division, regardless of those injuries. And I think the benefit is that there's going to be a lot of these players coming back over the next month and it's going to help our depth. And we've added players too to cover some of these injuries. So uh, it's going to be a different orange County team. The next time orange County and Phoenix face each other uh, with some of those return returning players uh, coming back from injury. 
Yeah, thanks for putting all that in context for us. And you've definitely adapted. Your team has adapted and, and, and is doing really well as we witnessed last night. There were a lot of interesting moments in the game. Aiden Quinn, one-on-one with the goalie in the ninth minute, but he couldn't convert. Orange County's Ronaldo Damas was in the same position in the second half. Lots and lots of missed opportunities. Definitely more on rising side, which was frustrating for the team and the supporters. So we're not going to dwell on that. Let's get to the goals. The first goal came from Orange County. It was in the 32nd minute, two Orange County midfielders that we highlighted in our preview last week got to work to produce the first goal. It was Miko Kuningas and Brian Olaski. Olaski was attacking on the right side of the park. He crossed the ball to Miko, who pulled the trigger from the left corner of the big box, beating three defenders and the goalie, goalie Andre Rawls. So, Ray, it was a very nice goal. Have you seen that combination of Brian Olaski and Miko Kuningas work together in the past? Uh, definitely, th- those players have been uh, you know, lock-ins for the the starting eleven for most of the season. Amico's a very uh, aggressive, uh, hard-nosed player out there. You probably witnessed some of his you know hard uh, nosedness, aggressiveness out there on the pitch. He doesn't back down. Uh, we like to joke when the club issued his uh, announcement of his signing. There was a picture from his previous club. It looked like he had blood coming down his like side of his neck or something. But I think it was more <laughs> just a tattoo or something. But that's something like that. That's just the picture of him. And then whenever he scores goals, you watch the uh, the tweets uh, from the club. His uh, image or his video is like just head banging away with his long hair. So that's Miko Kuningas, Brian Olaski's uh, second year with us. Uh, you know, struggled last year to put the ball into the net. Uh, you could see that he wanted a goal, couldn't score last year. This year has been a totally different player. He's been more aggressive. Uh, although I still think there's a few times where he tries to do too much. Uh, we witnessed that in this game as well. Uh, but that goal, that setup was awesome. And, uh, you know, I feel bad for Andre Rawls, Rawls former Orange County goalkeeper, because I, I think it's hard to tell with USL streams you know the, there's not really many angles but it looks like there was a deflection at least the way you watch Andre Rawls reaction to that goal uh, so you can't blame him for letting that goal in uh, and uh, lo and behold Orange County was up one nil and exciting but again nerve-wracking for us fans the way the season has gone. Kelly could we have done better with man marking there was there anything that we could have done differently? I will definitely agree with Ray's assessment there in terms of Rawls and the position that he was in. I think there was a deflection. I also think he had limited sight. You know, I think he had a couple of defenders in front of him who kind of fell away in their attempt to uh, block the ball or react to the ball. And I think those things just combined really perfectly for Orange County there. It was a hard shot. So absolute credit for Nico on that shot. But, you know, we were trying, I think we were really working on refining our style of play with our wingbacks being so aggressively or our our outside backs playing like wingbacks and moving really aggressively off the field. So I noticed that we had a lot more coverage, you know, when uh, Schmidt would go up the side, um, Quinn would drop back. Perhaps I have this reversed when when King would go up the side, Rodriguez would drop back. So we were really focused on their counterattack. I think we were prepared, you know, defensively. So I don't know, obviously you could always do something better. It was really tough when you look at the amount of possession we had on the night, when you look at um, what a tight game plan we had to concede a goal and they're not a high scoring team. So you would have loved a clean sheet. You can always do something more, but I think we were pretty prepared defensively in general to support our game plan. So things happen. And the key when those things 
happen is to turn it around and to capitalize on all the opportunities that you have. And that's where we fell a little bit short, more so than with this goal. Do you think you saw a deflection like Ray suggested, Kelly? I did. I I saw it with my eyes. <laughs> I haven't seen it like he said in the replay. You know, I wanted a couple more angles on that. So I wasn't able to verify it, you know, after. But I did see it on the night. I mean, it went off someone's shin guard, I think. And just you you could see Rawls' reaction. He was just like, he was in the right spot and then he wasn't. So yes, I do think so. So we went into the tunnel after the halftime whistle with Phoenix enjoying over 60% possession, but not able to convert. 11 shots compared to Orange County's six. The second goal came just minutes to, before the final whistle. The left full back, Ryan Flood, got the ball in the midfield. He took about 10 steps forward and then kicked the ball toward the back post, passing about six Orange County defenders on the way. Prince Sadie was there making a run to that same back post and did extremely well to catch it on the half volley and direct it to the right top pocket the top right pocket even saving our team from what was looking like our first home loss so kelly over to you well, tell us about that play oh you know i think one thing that's worth noting about this goal is that both of those players that were instrumental in this goal were subs and you just can't underestimate the power of the depth of phoenix's bench i mean we took off and I, I won't talk about the subs here specifically at the moment, but, you know, we took off Schmidt, who was having an amazing game to put on Flood. That was an awesome, really professional move by Rick Shantz. You know, Flood really stepped up. He had the energy that had to be waning in Schmidt. He was willing to play aggressive. He's got an insane left foot. I mean, at one point I thought he was going to score a goal himself and he was up for it. So it was an absolutely beautiful, beautifully positioned play. And I really want to give massive amounts of credit to Prince Sadie you know, what it was going to take in this match, which was extremely frustrating. It was extremely physical. Um, the energy was so high. I mean, starting at the 70th minute, it felt like the game was ending. That's the amount of energy was being brought to every play. Um, so, you know, you have to have a killer instinct and you have to have composure. And those things together are difficult to achieve. You know, when you are just so amped up like that, wanting a goal, you can get sloppy. Prince City did not. It was a perfect volley. It was a stretch. It was a left foot. It was a split. It was beautiful. It was perfectly placed. So, you know, absolute kudos to them for connecting with each other for that beautiful play and kudos to Rick for putting in those subs and understanding his team and the depth that we have. Absolutely. And Ray, it, it was tragic for you guys because you were just minutes away from getting an away win to the top team Phoenix Rising. So how did that feel? A very... Very heartbreaking as an Orange County fan, although like I mentioned earlier, uh, this has been a repeat performance for the club this season where they're dropping points, especially late matches. Uh, it happened just the previous week against uh, LA Galaxy in the final minutes uh, of regular play, uh, LA Galaxy 2 scores the winning goal. While there was this controversial moment over Chris Weehan uh, being checked for concussion protocol and the uh, referees not allowing Orange County to make a sub until after the play had started again, although there had been like a two minute break in play and I, I was up in the press box watching uh, Brayden, Coach Brayton Cloutier asking to sub and the, the refs were saying no and then once play gets back going. They tell us we can sub, our subs waiting to come in, and Phoenix, uh, LA Galaxy scores. In this match, a couple of things that concerned me um, or that were difficult, nothing against Phoenix. That was an awesome 
uh, cross. That was an awesome goal. Much credit to, to what happened there. Uh, like I mentioned, I, I was a little worried about how much extra time was on there. I know there was a lot of stoppage of play. There was a lot of milking of the minutes from Orange County players. I'm not going to lie and say that it didn't happen. There was a lot of that. But in past experience, when you watch matches, that maybe adds five or six minutes to a match, not eight minutes. Uh, you know, So that was difficult. And again, when a lot of Orange County fans saw that added time of eight minutes, that that was very scary. And of course we saw what happened. An another major thing, and we talked about injuries. Another injury I forgot to mention was Nathan Smith, who's one of our outside defenders. Uh, he's out with injury right now. So when you look at the sub that Orange County had to make late in the game, they took out, uh, I believe it was Kevin Alston. They, they removed from the match and they brought in young Kobe Henry, a 17 year old uh, young player who's still figuring things out quite a bit. We saw a month ago, he committed a really bad penalty in the box, I believe against Las Vegas, which contributed to our loss against them. Um, and he's a center back. So we had Brent Richards, who's our lone outside back and then three center backs playing defense. So we have someone playing out of position and lo and behold, it was the person that's playing that left uh, uh, outside back position where they would be marking that defender at the back post that, that we had that miscommunication there. So I believe that would have been Michael Orozco's uh, responsibility to stop or at least contest that goal. And he was way out of position for that. And again, nothing against Phoenix's goal, but we were out of position. We had players playing out of position and there was a lot of extra time on there. Oh, and also Orange County probably should have been up 2 nil if uh, Ronaldo Damus uh, makes that one-on-one -on -one, one shot against under rolls. But I, I have to believe there's a lot more on his mind uh, Heading into this match, he's a native of Haiti. He played for the Haiti international team. And earlier in the day, we find out there's a major earthquake and tsunami. So I'm sure he wasn't fully focused on this match. He probably has friends and family that he was worried about back home. Um, not saying that that I can confirm that's what caused him to miss that, that opportunity, but that definitely plays a part into that. So all these things equal into Orange County dropping two points. Uh, and it's a very important two points that Orange County would have loved to have in their back pocket because you have a scary Tacoma team with a couple games in hand over Orange County. And that mm -hmm. easily can jump ahead of us in the table if they can get a, their full points. So, but yeah, good goal uh, from Phoenix for the situation they were in and what was allowed for them. That was, that was, I saw that cross and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is going to happen. And it happened. <laughs> yeah. Great insights. Thank you for, for sharing the background on, on what, what happened with both of those instances, guys, we're going to drill down further. Let's talk about the lineup. So we, we've, we've given our overall thoughts. We've looked at the highlights with those two goals. Let's drill down. Let's take a look at the lineup. I want to mention that our number nine, Rufa Dadashov was traded out last week. It came as a surprise to us. Um, one of our friends who goes by the name of the ghost, the ghost of Luke Rooney, that's at ghost underscore Rooney on Twitter. He said not to put any negatives on a nice comeback, but man, does it seem extremely unfair for rising to put everything on an unproven rookie striker for this championship caliber team, especially based on fans expectations. Absolutely need another option there. So Kelly, I think the unproven striker that he's talking about is David Egbo. So do you want to Take a minute to talk about the loss of Rufat and what does that what that does for our team, and if you know of any any possibilities of us getting any incoming transfers. Sure, you know I I both agree and disagree with that tweet there. Um, and shout out to Ghost for sure. Love his insights and analysis. You know I don't think we really were putting the weight of the the offensive responsibility on Egbo. You know I we've seen him start a lot, and we've also seen a lot of 
production from our other forwards. So I think the task at hand was really to stay the course and maintain the high scoring percentage that we are capable of. So, you know, I don't necessarily agree that this was putting extra pressure on Egbo. Um, That said, I think we showed a little bit of a different shape in this game offensively as well as defensively. And I talked a little bit about that, but, you know, we had Solomon Asante playing kind of as a, as a number 10. Um, So he was dropped back and his goal for the evening was more distribution with the idea that our forwards, our outside strikers would pull wide. And that's the shift more so than Rufat being gone that I noticed. And I'm not sure how effective that was. I thought Asante's distribution was great, but we really needed that killer instinct up front. And I think it was lacking a little bit. I also think there's some confidence issues happening with our strikers. So, you know, Solomon was pulled back. But our, our other forwards were not pulling wide. I'm not sure that part of the game plan necessarily happened. I think they were pulled in. Now, I agree that a classic number, not I agree, he didn't say this, but I think more of a number nine would have benefited us on the evening. Um, we needed some height up front. And as a result of kind of this game plan that wasn't necessarily as productive as it could have been, we really needed to take advantage of our set plays we needed to take advantage of turnovers. Um, we needed really something to happen on the counterattack. So I'm losing sight of the question. <laughs> I think Edvo did well. I think he really uh, sticks with it. I think he really knows how to turn and hammer. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm really excited for Rufat. I think that he he wasn't necessarily the fit that we needed, but I think having some more height up front would benefit us again, especially against a team like orange County where they've got some size on their team. Um, and we needed something to really shake up what was happening. You know, Santi Moar was amazing in the beginning of the season. He still is, but I'd like a few more tricks in his bag. You know, he wasn't pulling wide. He was cutting in. And that's something that we've seen from him all season and that other teams are really prepared to shut down. We're going to talk about the uh, Phoenix Rising lineup. But first, let's get to the Orange County lineup. You had Patrick Rukowski uh, between the sticks. And then the the um, cornerbacks were Brent Richards and Kevin Alston. And center backs, Rob Kiernan and Michael Roscoe. In front of them, midfield, you had Brian Lasky over on the right side, Miko Koningas on the left side. Towards the center, you had Thomas McCabe and Eric Calvillo. And then up front, as we mentioned earlier, Ronaldo Damas, but also being helped out by Sean O'Coley. So is that the lineup that you expected on the light on the night? And is that the formation that your coach typically puts out, Ray? Um, that that probably is the starting 11 that you would anticipate going uh, into that match. Again, not really knowing the status of someone like a Chris Weehan um, and also with newest member of the club, uh, Dylan Powers, just joining the club on announcement recently. I, I, I'm assuming he's going to work his way into the starting lineup, uh, a former MLS Rookie of the Year um, who's played in uh, Scotland and um, in the MLS and is a solid midfielder. Uh, but when you look at that, you know, you got your four best available defenders. You probably have your most in form and fit midfielders uh, on that starting 11 and your basic two options up top uh, with a one pace and one more of a holding player. Uh, that's the formation. It seems like Orange County is trying to go with, uh, with, you know, a, a bigger up top and a, a speedy player up top. So two players up top that can um, work together on that. Uh, but again, a lot of the, the, the formation and the lineup is based off of available players at this, at this moment, um, you know, injuries, right, uh, right. fitness, uh, 
exiting a brutal July where we played like eight matches in the month of July, uh, the hottest time of the year and just compact schedule. So yeah, it's, it's pretty much the, the starting 11. I probably would anticipate, or I did anticipate for this Phoenix match. Kelly on the Phoenix side, we usually don't have a lot to talk about when it comes to lineup. We're wondering if it's going to be Rufat Dalishov or if it's going to be Agbo. We're wondering if it's going to be Arturo Rodriguez or if it's going to be Vicero. And that's about as much as, as the excitement goes. But last night, wow, we've got so much to talk about because Rick usually puts out a 4-3-3 last night. It changed for the first time in what seems like forever. He went with a 4-2-3-1. In goal, we had Andre Rawls. I don't think there was any surprise there. Our cornerbacks were Tate Schmidt, Darnell King, uh, centre-backs, Musa and Joey Farrell. And then we had the two defensive midfielders, that that was something new to us with Kev Lambert and Arturo Rodriguez. And then maybe our attacking midfield, Santi Moore, Solomon Asante, Aiden Quinn, and then up front, David Egbo. So want to talk to us about the formation? You want to talk to us about the lineup, Kelly? We heard from, I think, Andre Rolls in a post-game interview, just, you know, how much research that they had done, the team had done regarding how Orange County was likely to play and felt really prepared for this match. So I would assume that some of that shape change had to do with, um, you know, what we were anticipating from Orange County, who really did stick with their game plan. I also think we're trying to, as I've mentioned, kind of use the term evolve our play with our... Uh, outside backs playing more as wing backs and really moving up the field a lot. So I think, I think that shape kind of contributed to that. You know, we saw those defensive midfielders, if you will, dropping back um, to slot in as outside backs as we moved King and Schmidt up the fields really aggressively. We also saw, as we mentioned, more distribution out of Solomon Asante. So I think that's, I think that's where the shape change kind of came from. And I think it was effective, you know, As you mentioned, there were no real surprises in terms of who we saw on the field, but there were some some surprises in terms of who we didn't see, once again, available for substitution. And Becaro was missing from that list. We learned later that he was sick. So yeah, that was that was the game plan that we that we were anticipating. And I think we really stuck with it. It was effective in ramping up the attack. And I think some of the challenges just came from the finishing that we weren't able to accomplish. We talked about your lineup, Ray. So how did your backline do against our attackers? And just as a reminder, it was Santi Moore on the left, Aiden Quinn on the right, and then the center, Solomon Asante, and up front, David Egbo. So how did your backline do to contain them? Uh, I feel like for, let's just say for, for 96 minutes, they did a good job of containing Phoenix. Uh, you know, there was a few... Uh, dangerous chances from Phoenix. I know there was one early on from Aiden Quinn that I think he skied over uh, the crossbar, but I like to just uh, think that Aiden Quinn still has a little bit of love for Orange County. So he just didn't feel like he could score against us. Um, (laughs) There was a a, a couple other scary opportunities, but for the most part, when you watch, uh, you know, and and you all mentioned it's a solid back line for uh, defense for Orange County, uh, former U.S. international, Michael Roscoe, former uh, European, you know, Scotland and England player, Rob Kiernan, uh, MLS all-star Kevin Alston, Brent Richards is a quality known USL defender. Uh, they, they, they did their job. And then we had to make a change because of probably fitness. And also I believe Alston had picked up a yellow card and we give up a goal in the 97th minute or 96th minute or whatever it was. So they, they did their job. They, it was this bend don't break uh, mentality for them. They were clearing what they were able to clear out of the box and got lucky on a couple opportunities. Patrick Krakowski did, did great in goal, making a few big saves for Orange County. 
Uh, but I felt they they came and they did their job. Um, they just couldn't do it long enough uh, for the entire match uh, there. Uh, but all in all, I, I would say the defenders did exactly what Coach Brayton Plutier was asking him to do um, in trying to stop Phoenix. And I, I will say we got lucky because there was a few times Solomon Asante takes some shots. And I don't know that I've never seen Solomon Asante on a shot like that where it like misses by 20, 30 feet off to the side. So he was just off his, his game today. But uh, yeah, it, it was a solid defensive effort, effort from the club and from the defense. I definitely agree. It was a wonderful defensive effort uh, on the part of Orange County. And I think the whole team pretty played pretty well defensively for Orange County as well. Um, but I will say, you know, I do think part of this equation is missed opportunities by Phoenix. And it can't be understated. You know, we heard Rick Shantz in a post-game interview talking about how possession really isn't indicative of how the game is going. You know, and I agree, but I disagree. I think there's more to it. I think possession is indicative of the opportunities that can be created. We had 64% possession. We had six corners. We had 27 shots on goal. There were opportunities. And I think you know, I do think Solomon Asante has lost a little bit of confidence. I don't, I don't mean to say lost confidence, but he's been a little less confident, a little less polished in his finish. And we did see other, other opportunities as well that, you know, went well high. The shots weren't strong enough. And I think something else that we really need to tighten up um, is our back door. You know, we have really been working on more crosses, uh, gosh, we had an incredible number of crosses on the evening. I wrote it down somewhere, but if anyone's looking at those statistics, um, we had 35 crosses. So, you know, we're really working on that style of play where we're moving more, you know, we're moving like a tidal wave up that field, especially with those wing backs. We're putting the ball across and we don't have anyone on the back door, you know, our overlapping runs need to tighten up and we just need that extra man moving up the field. So to me, that's an area certainly of opportunity for Phoenix. It's like the amount of times that the ball is rolling right past and there's no one there to pick it up is is uh, getting a little bit frustrating. So I think that's just a part that has to be accounted for when it comes to that scoreline. I mean, we are a scoring team. And again, absolute wonderful defensive effort but for Orange County. But I just think, you know, we need to remember who we are and just put more shots on target. Great. Let's move it up to the midfield where games are often won and lost. Won or lost, were there any standouts for you in the midfield? Did everybody do equally as well? Um, Ray, how did you feel about your midfield's performance? It was a decent performance from the midfield. Of course, we get our one goal of the match from Miko Kuningas uh, out of the midfield. Brian Olaski is a big part of our midfield. I still question a little bit with Tommy McCabe and where he's being played for Orange County. I feel sometimes he looks a little bit um, out of his depth uh, as more of a defensive uh, midfielder. Um, maybe that's where bringing in Dylan Powers is is a part of that game plan because it looks like Dylan Powers uh, can be a little bit more physical and aggressive on there. I'm um, nothing against Tommy McCabe; he's a great player. Just I, I feel like sometimes he's being put in a position uh, where he's not going to succeed too too well. Um, we got Eric Cavillo from uh, San Jose; he's been decently solid, but um, probably can expect more out of him uh, in this match. They did their job. Uh, there was a few times where I was worried because Phoenix looked like they had a lot of open space in the midfield um, coming up the middle, uh, especially with like Aiden Quinn, uh, Kevon Lambert, uh, and a few of those other players in the midfield getting their opportunities. And and luckily they didn't lead to many dangerous uh, situations for Orange County, or at least goal opportunities for Phoenix. Uh, but 
Um, that probably, I mean, again, we signed Dylan Powers uh, this or we announced the signing this past week. So there's a known gap there in the midfield that the club is seeing that we have this opportunity to bring this player in and it's going to fill in. Um, and that's uh, indicative of what we see in this match. Again, a, a lot of possession for Phoenix was right down the middle. I know also on the left-hand side with uh, uh, Sante Moar, Moar uh, but um, yeah, I, I, I would say it wasn't the strongest part of Orange County's uh, game plan and performance. Uh, the defense definitely outshined the midfield. Okay. Outshone, outshone, whatever, whatever the word is. <laughs> you, you mentioned Eric Calvillo and Kelly and I were, were watching him last night and we were concerned when he got on the ball. He just looked dangerous. Anyway, Kelly in the midfield, any standouts for you? Were you happy to see Arturo Rodriguez on the field? How did everybody do? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I thought they played really well, especially with that little bit of a change that we saw in their expectations. You know, we saw Quinn dropping back to play defensively. We saw Rodriguez doing the same. And, you know, that requires a different mentality from them. They're both very attack minded. Um, they did a great job covering back in defense and that's going to add, you know, just uh, to their fitness expectations. And I think they definitely lived up to it. Kevin Lambert was outstanding last night. I mean, when I picture that game, I just picture watching him. I mean, he was, he was wonderful defensively as we always expect him to be. And he was also fantastic with distribution. I would have liked our midfielders to have recognized some of the outages that we had in terms of scoring and just put the head down. I mean, at one point, I think I was screaming like Aiden Quinn, it's on you again. Like <laughs> I just, I just needed him to get that goal and keep that that run of form, but, but they played well. And I think, you know, it was, a, it was in times a frustrating game, certainly towards the end there where it did feel like there was a little bit of time wasting. That's what you expect. That's what any team would have done trying to hold out that lead visiting. We saw Kalistri come in for Rodriguez. And I think we needed maybe a jolt of energy. We needed to try something a little bit different. And we were seeing a lot of consistency over the last couple of games from Kevin Lambert and from Aiden Quinn. So that's where the substitution happened. But overall, you know, it was a good performance by them. It was energetic. It was great in terms of distribution. We had a ton of passes on the evening, but probably needed them to join the attack a little more than they did. Okay, well, Kev Lambert has been with us for over 100 games now. His last game was his 100th game with the club. And he is just getting better and better year after year, month after month, game after game. He's, he just did Here's to 100 phenomenal. more. Yeah, here's to 100 more. <laughs> okay, um, our back line, we had Schmidt, Musa, Farrell, and King um, against the forward line of Ronaldo Damos and Sean O'Coley. Um, I mentioned to you, Kelly, that we were able to take Damos out of the game, but you you gave him high compliments. Do you remember what you said about him? Yeah, I mean, I think he's incredible. And I think Gray shed some light, you know, that I had been thinking about too, in terms of no doubt some distraction that was happening for him on the evening. And my absolute heart goes out to him and everyone in Haiti for what mm -hmm. they're dealing with. <laughs> oh my gosh, I've never cried on the podcast before. <laughs> Um, but nonetheless, he is a threat. He's incredible. I mean, we've watched him play. I'd say I've probably watched Orange County play more than anyone else besides Phoenix. And he's insane. He's, he's really fun to watch. My respect for him continues to grow. Um, and yeah, he's, he can just really slip in behind the defense and, you know, uh, we're often trying to catch people off sides. We do that a little more than I'm comfortable with. Um, I'd love us to remember to play the whistle. 
instead of throwing that hand up, it makes me nervous. And I mean, he is the last person that you want to play that trap with. He has impeccable timing. There were a lot of beautifully weighted balls served up to him, but he's fast. I mean, he can just really turn it on. And I give credit to Phoenix for having incredibly quick back line, but not necessarily as fast as Thomas is. And he's usually incredibly composed, you know, set a finish. So um, I won't say we got lucky, certainly no doubt because of what he was dealing with, but it was lucky that he was, if, if he was distracted or if he had an off game, because there were some chances he could have put in and uh, full respect for him as a player. He's fantastic. And just before we go over to, to Ray, let's talk about our back line there. Um, how did you think Tate Schmidt did? I, I think Musa and Farrell had a great game. I think Schmidt had a good game too. Um, oh, and and Darrell yeah. King. So just talk us through that back line. Absolutely. I mean, there's not a ton to say just because we say it every week. I think they've been incredibly strong. I want to give a shout out to Farrell for continuing to strengthen himself in that back line and earn that spot. He is incredible in the air. And, um, you know, we had, we had wonderful percentage in terms of aerial duels last night, and I probably credit him with about 50% of them, but uh, the back line was very strong. And I think King and Schmidt are continuing to perfect, you know, their movement up the wings and we're so lucky to have them. And um, then again, you know, when they were subbed out, those subs slotted in beautifully as well. So probably really nothing to be said that hasn't been said, except, you know, Musa to me is really emerging as kind of like a quiet giant. You know, he is not a flashy player, but he's incredibly consistent and strong. And I just appreciated him last night. I thought he did wonderfully. Okay, over to you, Ray, to talk about your front line and how they did against our back line. I'm not sure that, that you could have expected anything more from your front line, to be honest. But what do you think? I agree with everything that Kelly said about Ronaldo. Uh, I, I thought he he was solid against Phoenix last night. He's been solid all season. He's been a, a very pleasant surprise. I know uh, he came from League One, North Texas, uh, was a Golden Boot winner with them a few seasons or a couple seasons ago. And you know, jump, make that jump to the championship. You never know how well a player is going to adjust. And he's come in and he's been uh, very solid for Orange County this year, uh, leading the team with goals. Uh, and that pace is is difficult for many teams to deal with. There's been many times he gets flagged for offside. I think the very first match against Tacoma, it was uh, like nine flags for offside. So we were all worried about that coming into the season. But he's start, he's starting to figure that out. Against Phoenix, uh, again, I have to knock him for that missed opportunity because that has to be a goal when you're one-on-one with a goalkeeper. You have to put that in the back of the net. Uh, but I will give him a, a little bit of leeway because of what's going on probably in his mind. Uh, Sean Nicoli, a little disappointed in his performance against Phoenix. Uh, you know, he's being asked to be more of the holdup player, but even with that, there's a few times where you're watching him try to play that role and he can't control the ball. And we saw this last season as well is sometimes he has a really heavy touch when he's trying to hold the ball. So it'll come to him and then he tries to stop it, but it goes four or five feet from him and it allows uh, it either disrupts what he's trying to do or allows the defense to get back into position. And we saw some of that against Phoenix as well. Uh, so that was difficult. Uh, the return of Darwin Jones, he looked pretty good out there. He's just recently coming back from injury, so he's not fully fit to, or to play a full 90 minutes. But uh, his uh, substitution late in the match was a positive uh, for Orange County fans. Uh, did make, make a huge uh, impact on the match as far as uh, opportunities, but you could see a little bit of the flashes of what we'd expect out of Darwin Jones. And I, I think fans are maybe a little excited to see, uh, especially with Thomas and coming back here soon. Um, what and uh, Ronaldo Damas and Darwin Jones can do together up top and throw in Chris Weehan with that as well. You've got a nice solid rotation of some uh, proven goal scorers uh, at this point, because now we can say Ronaldo's a proven goal scorer in the league and some pace and some 
leadership out there. So that, that'll be nice. But I, I will say I was a little disappointed with everyone except for Ronaldo when it comes to the attacking portion of uh, Orange County in this match. Okay. And you mentioned uh, Darwin, Darwin Jones. He came on the 76th minute um, and, and he is a, a fantastic player um, for sure. He's, he's proven it in, in previous seasons. You had a substitution in the 61st minute where Dylan Powers came on for Sean O'Coley. Um, what do you know about Dylan? He was a former MLS uh, Rookie of the Year. Uh, last His last played at Dundee in uh, Scotland, and uh, you hear a lot of good things. Uh, we have this connection with Scotland now because of our partnership with Rangers. So mm-hmm. there are some Scottish uh, soccer slash football fans that uh, follow us a, a little bit more now. So when we announced it signing, they they know that name now. They, they, some of the our followers from that part of the the world uh, know that name, and they uh, I think. There was a few comments I saw on social media that we we got a, ourselves a silky player um, that he's going to be nice for the club uh, that it's just it's a solid signing to help provide depth in that midfield. Uh, I I'm looking forward to it um, to seeing what he can do. Hopefully he's uh, fit enough to jump in there and start performing. And I'm loving it for the depth uh, portion of it is because it, another player that we're going to be getting back soon is Seth Kasipoli. Uh, so now you're going to have you know five or six solid USL or at least soccer, you know, proven players uh, in the midfield that you can rotate in there with, you know, a Dylan Powers, uh, uh, Seth Kasipoli, Miko Kuningas, Tommy McCabe, uh, you know, Cavillo. I, I can name a few other players that, Alaski. Uh, all these players can rotate into that midfield now. So you've got a solid thing. I, I, we're excited uh, here in Orange County with Dylan Powers. It's just another proven name that you're adding to the roster. We don't have the money like Phoenix has to just splash cash and get, any player we want, but when we can, and I'm not trying to make fun of Phoenix. I mean, it's sort of known you guys, I mean, that's how you guys got Aiden Quinn from us. You were able to offer money money over here, (laughs) (laughs) but I mean, so our front office has to be a little bit more selective of what we can do. And so when you get an opportunity to bring someone with a proven track record uh, and with the pedigree of a, of a Dylan powers, he fits right into a USL uh, team, hopefully well, and he's going to provide some, some solid play in the midfield for orange County. Great. As far as the subs went for Phoenix Rising, we had our two super subs, of course, that came on and got that goal for us. Ryan Flood and Prince Sadie. Ryan came on the 81st minute. Prince Sadie came on the 89th minute. We had two other subs. Noah Billingsley, he came on the 81st minute uh, to replace Darnell King. And Arturo Rodriguez was replaced by Joey Calistri in the 60th minute. So, Kelly, early in the your analysis, you talked about how Rick made intelligent, good substitutions. And I think Rick does that. I think he's really good at making the right substitutions. But anything to say about Billingsley and Calistri? And I, I think what I like about Rick's intelligent choices is it always shows how unintelligent I am. <laughs> um, you know, a match like this, when it is such high energy, when it is a rivalry feel, and I always get nervous with substitutions in a game that's being played that way. You know, you can't substitute energy. Um, and so, you know, it just goes to show my ignorance because I'm thinking, oh my gosh, don't change out the back line at this point. Like this game is too intense for that. And indeed they, they really both flood and Billingsley slotted in perfectly. They added the energy. Like I said, you know, we're playing those, those outside backs like wing backs move so much movement up the field and they really took on that challenge and made things happen. So, so those were great and they looked great. You know, it's so easy to be nervous for those substitutions. And I really quickly felt confident with Billingsley. He was on the far side of the field from us, but you could just tell, you know, you could feel his, his composure and that's what you need. And same with flood in terms of that aggression and that, 
incredible left foot. Kalistri added, I think he added and up-leveled the game. You know, I think it was a nice substitution. We don't always know where he's going to come on. He got a lot of minutes, which I was happy about. I thought he really slotted in and was a nice mix that we needed in the midfield of both distribution and um, straight up individual effort. So I was absolutely thrilled. And it's a good thing that uh, Rick's leading the team and someone like me isn't in charge because, you <laughs> know, a, I was just holding my breath. It was an exciting game and we've we've got more of this to look forward to. Um, but let's let's close it out, guys. Ray, do you have some closing comments that you'd like to leave us with? What an exciting first of four for this season. It's crazy that the first match is so late in the in the season. Uh, but we still have three more of these, and I'm sure as we get closer to the end of the season, there's going to be a lot more energy. There's got to be a lot more aggressiveness from the players on the pitch. And and again, this looked like playoff playoff soccer right here. These play these it's what mid August, and these players are fighting out there and getting in each other's faces, and and are really competitive out there and putting the pressure on. And it was a great match. It was fun to watch. Um, again. A little sad that Orange County couldn't steal the full three points there, um, but I'm looking forward to these next three uh, head-to-head matches between these teams, and I'm looking forward to a potential meetup in the in the playoffs if we can get to that point. And and hopefully for us Orange County fans, uh, you know, maybe we can rush the stadium out there in Phoenix, and <laughs> rush the field, and, and wave our flag to get back at y'all. But uh, no, I'm Don't looking forward to it. Down. <laughs> it. No, it was awesome, um, and. Uh, yeah, looking forward to it. And hopefully Orange County can figure things out because they've been in a little bit of slump the last month, month and a half here where they can't get some consistency in the win. So, but Hey, even with all that said, we're second in the table in the Pacific division. So we're still in a good spot. If we could turn it around, we're still um, trending towards a, a good playoff uh, positioning. So, yeah, you guys are doing well, Kelly over to you. Take it away. Closing comments. You know, it's an amazing thing when you can come back at the death and you can put that goal in. It requires heart, teamwork, perseverance, persistence, and we continue to show that. So it was an awesome, awesome, exciting game. And we certainly would have loved the win, but I agree with Ray. You know, it was uh, two well-matched teams and it was it was basically a, a happy, if I may say, a happy outcome all around. So we'll see what happens in the future, but I could definitely see these two teams um, in the playoffs together. This has been great. Ray Samora, thank you so much for joining us. It's not easy coming onto enemy territory to talk to us on a Phoenix Rising Supporter podcast. So kudos to you. Oh, I thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to hear the reactions because I know there's a lot of uh, Phoenix fans that uh, don't like some of my comments in the past uh, when I'm joking around. Um, when I talk about butterfly gardens and some of the Phoenix fans will already know what I'm talking about when they listen to the podcast. <laughs> but I love you all. It, it's it's uh it's fun talking with you and, and I've made great friendships with a lot of Phoenix uh, fans and podcasters. So it's all just fun and games for me. I, I respect y'all and, and thanks and, and looking forward, you know, I, I'm, I'd be happy to join uh, you guys uh, in the future anytime. Thank you so much. So kudos to you, Ray. Congrats to your team on a hard and entertaining game. Kelly, it's great talking football with you. Thanks for coming on. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay, guys, have a great week and we'll see you another time. Phoenix Rising family, today we welcome Juan Uresti. Juan is a journalist in the, for the Spanish-speaking audience here in Phoenix. Juan, welcome to the Fan Experience. Tell us about your background. Hi, Niall. Thank you uh, for inviting me, and it's always a pleasure to be here. And, well, I came to the United States exactly 15 years ago. I was 15 years old when I came in. I was born in Colombia in a city called Pasto. So from Pasto, Colombia, all the way to Phoenix. 
those are my two cities because I was living 15 years in Pasto and now I have lived 15 years in Phoenix. Uh, so both of them are a big part of my life. So did you play soccer um, both in Colombia and here? Yes, yes. Since I was little kid, my passion was playing soccer all the time, in a school, with friends, uh, in the streets, whatever, you know, uh, I was playing soccer. Now, when I came to United States, I went into some academies and tried to play. But uh, with life in United States, working, studying, it was kind of difficult to keep going. So I kind of stopped, but I always had the passion to to play soccer. But 20 years, almost 20 years playing soccer uh, a lot. Fantastic. And so you've got you've got two passions now. You've got Phoenix Rising as a passion, and then you've got journalism as a passion. So which came first? Did you hear about Phoenix Rising first as a supporter, or was it something that you were covering uh, as a journalist? When I started studying journalism, Didier Drogba came in. So uh, it was kind of both things at the same time. So I was studying journalism and uh, one of my projects was to write an article about uh, Phoenix Rising. So I went to a game, but as as a supporter, I paid my ticket and everything. The first game I went and covered a Didier Drogba game. And after that, I fell in love with the team. Uh, Soccer has been my passion. And I remember because I grew I grew up with my dad taking me to the stadium in Colombia. So I wanted that. I missed that so much. So when I saw Phoenix Rising and I went to the first game, I said, you know, I'm going to come in every weekend, every weekend that I can. So that was obviously at Casino Arizona Field. Uh, what did you think of, of the atmosphere and, and of the setup there with it being a pop-up stadium and kind of like a carnival type atmosphere? Uh, yeah, any, you know, Football is football. I mean, it's for the people. So we, I mean, I don't, I didn't care too much about how the stadium was. I just wanted to be with people that love football. And it was over 6,000 people there every weekend watching football, watching Phoenix Rising. So you feel the passion and, you know, the product on the field was pretty good the last few years. And I enjoy it all the time. So I miss a lot Casino Arizona feeling. Absolutely. So you and I have have that same background that your dad would take you to games and my dad would take me to games. But that's changed here in Phoenix because, you know, in Phoenix, the soccer culture, the football culture is really new. So you don't have a lot of dads taking the kids to games. You've got a lot of adults finding out about Phoenix Rising for the first time, just seeing it, seeing an ad or hearing it from a friend and friends introducing introducing them to the game. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in soccer culture and just the way things happen here in, in Arizona. It's, it's very different from the rest of the world. It's a little different because soccer is new for United States culture. Uh, it's been since the World Cup, you know, 94, uh, 26 years, kind of, 20, 27. And, you know, in other countries, it's been there for over 100 years. Football or soccer in other parts of the world is just it's just life, you know. You you are born with it. Here, people are starting to learn about this passion, and it's growing so fast. That, you know, uh, the sport is gonna be one of the biggest ones for sure in in short time. Yeah, and and it's a really great time for people to be introduced 
to soccer and to football because it's growing so fast, like you said, and we've got the World Cup to look forward to. The U.S. men's national team is doing really, really well. So it's an exciting time to, to be introduced to the sport. Let's talk about journalism. Let's talk about 90 Mass Rising and how you reach out to the Spanish-speaking community. Yeah, so with 90 Mass Rising, we, we well, it was an idea that came after following Phoenix Rising and seeing that there was little coverage in Spanish in Spanish for the team. You know, I'm, John wanted to do something different. And I said, let's do, why not making or doing a Spanish sports show just about Phoenix Rising? And I went with that idea to the first guy that opened the doors for me, which is Franco. Uh, at Frecuencia Alterna, which is a station, online station. And he he said, you know, let, let's try it online. Let's do radio and let's do video in social media. I said, yeah, that's a good start. Let's do it. And I was there for a few months. Then things went other ways and I had to go out from there. And my colleague and partner at that time, Rafa Sanchez, which is a big supporter of Phoenix Rising, we began a podcast, just podcast about the team. And there was a time where we were in TV, on TV, uh, local TV, uh, channel 116 in Cox and 44.1 in uh, open, open TV. And then after that, pandemic came and we had to, to go away from TV. But we partnered with La Mejor to, to have the show every day from Monday through Thursday. Uh, 15 to 20 minutes, not too much, but you know, it's over two hours. Huge. So just before we leave the uh, initial story, what was the name of the podcast? Same, same. It's been the, it's been always 90 Mass Rising, always, since the beginning. What was the TV show called? Was it the same thing as well? Yeah, same. And was that live or was it pre-recorded? Live. It was done by Rafa Sanchez by me of course and sometimes uh, we had caro campos carolina campos i don't know if you've seen her in the stadium with the 90 mass rising shirt oh yeah 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 she's 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 been there with us too okay great so so the podcast is still going yeah because we record uh what we talk about in the radio we record the show and post it all the time so you can listen to us monday through thursday Okay, so you've got your podcast, 19 Mass Rising, and then you're with the radio station, 106.5 FM. And what's the name of the station again? La Mejor. La Mejor. What does that mean? The best. Yeah. <laughs> the best. Okay. From what I could tell, at least when I was listening to it, it was a, a music station, right? They're, they're playing um, a lot of Hispanic music. Yes. Yes. It's mo most, mostly is uh, music and a little bit, just a little bit of sports. And then Monday through Thursday, you come on for 20 minutes. I come on for 20 minutes. And after that, I come in for another hour in a sports show where we talk about everything. Okay. Uh, basketball, baseball, NFL, and of course, football. That segment that's on at, is it, did you say it was on at one o'clock? Uh, for, for 90 Mass, it's at 12.30. 12.30. So you're talking about so, Phoenix Rising four days a week. Yeah. Yeah. For like let's say 15, 20 minutes, then I take a little break and come back at 1 p.m. for, for the for Deportes al Maximo, which is 
uh, all the sports. That is so cool. That is more exposure than what we get in English speaking language. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so what are the plans for the future as you continue to expand and to reach out to the Spanish speaking community? Well, my main goal since since I started covering the team was to bring Phoenix Rising closer to the Hispanic community and to bring the Hispanic community closer to Phoenix Rising, you know, both ways. So that's my main goal and uh 90 Mass Rising uh, was done because of that was It's a channel so people can know about the team. And, you know, I think about how big this can get. And it really can get as big as as I want or as big as Phoenix Rising can get too, you know. If you ask me for a plan for 90 Months Rising is to keep, keep going, uh, come back maybe for a TV show later, uh, keep going on radio and just do simultaneously maybe. But, you know, big things, big things. When Phoenix Rising play home, are you on the field covering them? I'm on the press box calling the game, doing the play-by-play. And where is that being aired? On the 106.5 FM and 1400 AM, La Mejor. There are things that happen behind the scene as a journalist. Some of some of them you cover and we all get to experience in, and some of them maybe we don't get to experience them so do you have any memories that you'd like to share with us ah there was a time where we traveled to new mexico uh it was rafa sanchez and me and we also had a photographer tony castro and we went to new mexico and we were at the stadium and we were uh, we had to walk down through this through the like in the middle of the of the people you know we had to cross the the stands Uh, to get to the field. So as we got to the field, we were with our red jerseys, uh, 90 Mass Rising red jerseys. And all the fans started to insult us, uh, telling everything, whatever they they came up with. And it was a good 20 meters at least walking. And and it was just a time where, you know, Rafa and me, were, we were like looking at each other. We're not even players, you know? <laughs> We are not the players. We're just covering the team, and, and we get all of this. So it was funny. After that, we let, we we just laugh about it, but but it was a good memory. Sure. So you, you get a, an idea of of the kind of abuse that our players have to put up with, and the hate, unfortunately, that the Phoenix gets for some reason. Because we're number one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because we're the best. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Juan, I think we've covered all the bases. There is there anything that you want to add today? Well, I would like to thank uh, the guys at Phoenix Rising that have helped me. You know, uh, get 90 Mass Rising coverage, uh, and also the people who have been behind the scenes for what is now a reality, which is having a Spanish broadcast for Phoenix Rising. First, uh, Bobby Dool. Uh, I think he's the main guy that that actually got this to be a reality because he was the one that I accepted it. But most important is that he gave me the opportunity to listen to my idea, you know. And uh, I think the support that, that I had from him was really, really something special because now it's now we have a Spanish broadcast. Also, the owners, which I know uh, one or two, but personally just, you know, saying hi and stuff, not really friends, 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 but I know them. Um, 
And I think, you know, they also accepted the idea of having Spanish uh, broadcast for the team. So I would like to thank them. And also Jose Boch, which was the one that I started, I had to go with him first because he was doing communications or, or was in charge of communications department when I started covering the team. And he opened the arms for us. He gave us all the coverage. And finally, Jason Minnick, who came in uh, and helped us out. He, he was the one that actually helped me to get this to be a reality. And until today, he's helping me a lot. So I would like to thank them and also the people who who have helped me in 90 plus rights. You know, now we have Carolina Campos, Kevin Calvo as photographer, uh, Marco Peralta, who, who is uh, the commentator and also my partner in, in, in the show, in the radio show. And the ones before, Rafa Sanchez, who was a big part of, of uh, 90 Mass Rising. He was one of the main guys, you know, on the history of this show. And also the guys before him, like Danny Orona, who was also with us for, uh, I believe, a year or some months. And Franco, who was before that. Uh, so that's that's the story. And thank you, Neil, for the opportunity for me to give thanks to them. Absolutely. You know, in your show. It's, it's an exciting time for everybody connected with Phoenix Rising, of course. Everybody who works, who gets paid on the staff or the players for the audience and also for you and I, it's just, it's just an exciting time for us all. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. And I hope to have you back another time and we can talk some more. Yes, yeah, of course we can talk some some football and some Phoenix Rising. Brilliant. I'll be, I'll be happy to be here, thank you. All right, my friend, thank you so much, gracias. USL Championship League fans. This is Kelly McCarthy, here to share the league standings after an eventful and exciting Week 17. We are officially just past the halfway point in the season, and teams are certainly starting to turn up the intensity in the race for points, playoff spots, and home team advantage. Since we're halfway through the regular season matches, this is a good time for a quick refresher on how the league is structured this season. There are two conferences, each with two divisions, for a total of four divisions. The Atlantic, Central, and Pacific divisions each have eight teams. The Mountain Division has seven. That's a total of 31 teams. The top four teams in each division will make the playoffs, so teams are currently contending to secure their place at the top of their division. There are a lot of games left to be played, so anything can still happen in this season. Yes, there are divisions that are top-heavy, there are teams that have a strong lead on the points, but things can and will change. Teams will rise to the top and turn their seasons around. It's already starting. In the coming weeks, we'll talk about how the playoffs are structured, in terms of which teams will play each other, how field advantage is determined, and what happens if two teams in a division are tied for points at the end of the season. Now let's take a look at the leaderboard from each division as we head into week 18. In the Eastern Conference Atlantic Division, the Tampa Bay Rowdies are back at number one with 33 points after 17 matches. The Pittsburgh Riverhounds, who have held the number one spot for several weeks, have dropped into number two position with 33 points after 19 matches. The Miami FC held on to third place after picking up four points in week 17 and now have 31 points after 19 matches. 
In fourth place are Charlotte Independents, who have 26 points after 17 games and are unbeaten in their last four matches. There were a few notable happenings across the Atlantic Division in Week 17. The number two team, Pittsburgh Riverhounds, suffered two losses, first on Wednesday, August 11th to number three, Miami FC, then again on Saturday, August 14th to number four, Charlotte Independence. Charlotte picked up six points in the week and this accounts for their rise in the standings. This is an extremely competitive division with only nine points separating team six from team one. As schedules ramp up and teams play two games per week, we'll continue to see movement in this table. But we do have the USL side with the worst record in this division. Loudoun United only have seven points after 17 matches and haven't won a match in eight games on the bounce. Let's hope they can turn things around. The Eastern Conference's Central Division had a great week 17 as well. Louisville City FC remained dominant with 39 points after 18 matches, which is the most points in the league. Birmingham Legion are six, point ba- six points back with 33 after the same number of games. Atlanta United 2, who are in a nice run of form, picked up another four points and moved into third place with 25 points after 20 games. Tulsa FC dropped to fourth place and have 22 points after 17 matches. I'm sure you're noticing that we still have a disparity in terms of games played. Because of the USL's rolling start, teams simply haven't been able to catch up. And across the conference, you have teams who have played as few as 14 matches and teams that have played as many as 20. A couple of notables from the Central Division in Week 17. Loose City is on a seven-game unbeaten streak, and this weekend saw the number one team win against FC Tulsa, number four. Cameron Lancaster scored both of Louisville's goals, and in doing so has moved into position as the second-highest goal scorer in the league. He's actually tied with Nico Brett from Birmingham Legion. They both have 11 goals on the season. Speaking of Birmingham Legion, they tied on the road with Memphis 901, who are seventh in the division. Phoenix Rising fans will be interested to know it was not Nico Brett who scored for the Legion, but Junior Flemings, former Phoenix Rising player and 2020 Golden Boot winner. In the Western Conference Mountain Division, the El Paso locomotives are rolling down the track and pulling away from the rest of the division, having 38 points after 17 games. They're on a nine-game unbeaten streak and are 10 points ahead of the number two team, the Colorado Switchbacks, who have 28 points after 18 matches. In third place, also with 28 points after 18 matches, is Rio Grande Valley FC. In fourth place, with 24 points after 17 matches, is San Antonio FC. In terms of notable happenings in this division, let's talk about the number two team, Colorado Switchbacks. They played number three, Rio Grande Valley FC, in week 17. They beat them five goals to two. What a game. Two of Colorado's goals were scored by Haji Berry, the USL's leading goal scorer, who now has 18 goals on the season for an average of one per game. There are only five points separating the team in sixth place from the team in second place in this division. Five points. Austin Bold, who are in fifth in the table, 
with the same number of points and games played as number four San Antonio, played against the Miami FC in week 17. So this was an exciting interconference matchup. You'll recall Miami FC are in third place in their division. The two teams tied at nil, but Miami FC was actually reduced to nine men due to two straight red card incidents. Austin just wasn't able to capitalize. Phoenix Rising FC are still dominating the Western Conference's Pacific Division, despite two draws in the last two weeks. Phoenix has 37 points after 17 matches. Orange County FC remain in second place with 26 points after 18 matches, and Tacoma Defiance have swapped with San Diego Loyal after beating them in Week 17. Both clubs have 24 points, but Tacoma is in third place because they have two games in hand. Pacific Division teams one and two clashed this weekend and the match ended in a one-all draw with Phoenix Rising scoring in stoppage time. Prince Sadie scored on an outstanding long pass from Ryan Flood, flicked on by Joey Farrell in the 96th minute. Orange County was devastated by the late goal and OC fans were a bit prickly about the eight minutes of stoppage time added to the clock. At the opposite end of the table, the Oakland Roots picked up their second win of the season. They broke their five-game losing streak in Week 16, drawing with Sacramento Republic. They used that momentum to pick up their first home win and three points in Week 17 against LA Galaxy 2. This could be the start of their turnaround. Thanks for joining me to talk USL Championship standings. Phoenix Rising family, on August 21st, we have a home game against Sacramento Republic FC. This will be the third time that the teams meet this season. Phoenix has beat Sacramento Republic twice, both away games. I spoke with Alicia Rodriguez, who covers Sacramento Republic at IndomitableCitySoccer.com about the history of Sacramento Republic, and here's what she said. Yeah, Sacramento Republic is, I think, one of the kind of biggest teams, you could say, in, in the division. And what I mean by that is they've had a, a, a large and loyal following since they launched in 2014. Um, they won the USL championship in 2014 in their inaugural season. And um, in some ways that that was a, a huge surprise. And in other ways, I think it was a testament to the work that they had done to launch the team successfully. Um, the fan base is really loyal and I think that they also have high standards. So they expect this team to compete and contend for titles every year. Uh, they've made the playoffs every season that they've been in the league, but, um, they're still trying to get back to the top of that mountain. And, uh, I think this year they have a renewed focus on, on trying to win a, a title. With that backdrop, let's look at how these teams match up going into Saturday's game. As you know, Phoenix Rising is number one in the standings. Sacramento Republic is in fifth place. Phoenix has had 17 games and so has Sacramento Republic. So how have they done? Well, with those 17 games, Phoenix has amassed 37 points, while Sacramento has amassed just 21 points. Phoenix's win rate is right up there at 65%. Sacramento's is at 29%. Breaking that down even further, for Phoenix, we've got 11 wins, four draws and two losses. Sacramento Republic have five wins, six draws and six losses. 
They've played eight games away and only won two of those. Both teams are unbeaten in the last six games. Phoenix has got four wins and two draws. Sacramento Republic have three wins and three draws. Their standout players are Tucker Bone, who's got five goals in the season, Formella, who's got three goals in the season, and then Kamra Iwasa, who's starting to take off. He got a brace in the last game and he's got three goals in the season. Although you won't see a whole lot of them on the score sheet, other names to watch out for in this team are Jordan McCrary, Michael Tainter and Carlton Belmar. I'm expecting a tough, very physical game for Phoenix Rising. If Sacramento Republic come here to win, then that's the best case scenario for us. If that's the case, I think that we're going to finish up this game 3-0 at least. If they come here and if they play KG starting to park the bus, then I still think we're going to win, but just not score as many goals. That's the way it goes. All right, Phoenix Rising fans, I'm so looking forward to this game and I can't wait to see you at the stadium on Saturday night.